Welcome to Income for Baby Boomers. If you want to learn about exciting new businesses each week from other boomers who speak your language and have started a unique and profitable business from home, you have come to the right place. For those who would like to try some of these low investment opportunities, stay tuned. We'll help you get started in your own profitable adventure. Now with your host and entrepreneur, Ken Queen. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce Jim Palmer, who has written Decide the Ultimate Success Trigger. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Ken? Fantastic. That is a fantastic title for a book. Tell me a bit about the book. What uh, does it go into? This book is, uh, you know, I, I struggled hard not to call it a mindset book, Ken, but in the end, it okay. really is about how, how entrepreneurs get a hold of their mind and so they're able to make good decisions and move their business forward faster. There's one thing in particular that all growing businesses love and that's speed and momentum. Ken, the thing that kills a business is indecision because when there's indecision, nothing happens. You know, there's a term paralysis by analysis. So people who are mm -hmm. unable to make a decision are just not comfortable with risk and moving forward. Those are the businesses that either grind to a halt or don't become all that they're supposed to be. All right. So indecision is the killer. So as I was mentioning, that speed momentum is like you're getting the ball rolling down the hill. You can pretty well overcome any obstacle when you get the speed and momentum going, I think is what you're saying. Is that correct? Oh, that's exactly right. And that's a great analogy I use all the time. The old snowball that starts going down the hill becomes, you know, giant boulder of snow. And so sometimes people feel like they're going to make a wrong decision. The thing is, when you're growing and there's momentum building, yes, not every decision is going to work out great. But in the end, you're going to make far more correct decisions than incorrect decisions. And because you have momentum and you're growing, you can absorb you know, the occasional blows, if you will, like hitting a rock or somebody peeling a piece of your snowball off. Mm -hmm. You can absorb those mistakes a lot easier. The people that just wait for perfect, wait for everything to fall in place before they decide and before they implement and move forward, those are the businesses that are just not doing anything. So a no decision is a decision and basically a failure decision. No decision. What I say in the book is that yes or no, either one of those is a good option. I'll think about it. Leads you to a place that I call Squishyville, which is just my fancy way of saying a very big word for the back burner. You know, the, when I hear people say, well, we're going to put that on the back burner, and that's fine, but that to me almost sounds a little too sterile, Ken. So I want to come up with a place, and, and I describe Squishyville as a place where opportunities go to die. All right. So anytime you meet a situation, you either have to say yes or no. You can't put everything on the back burner is not a place where they should go. No, and if you think about it, when you think of, look at some of the businesses that are growing rapidly. Not only is speed helping them, but, you know, market conditions change, competition change. I mean, I'm trying to think of when Twitter came on board, like five years ago, eight years ago. It hasn't been 10 years, I don't think, and if that. And so I, I was actually talking to a guy who said, you know, you're right, Jim. He was in the social media field, and he said, we, we had an idea to do something a couple of years ago. We, he goes, I put it on the back burner, and we're, we're starting to look at it today. And he said, you know what? That space we were looking at has completely changed. It's no longer the hot-button thing it was. And so we could possibly still do it, but we, we missed the opportunity. So back burner things die on the vine there if you leave them there long enough, I, I guess. Absolutely. All right, super. My folks that listen to this show, Jim, are basically baby boomers that have either lost their job or are semi-retired or they've just retired. Some of them need to make an extra couple of thousand a month. 
Uh, some of them can't stand sitting at home any longer, so they, they need to do something constructive. So they're listening for ideas of, you know, how to use their talents. To speak to that crowd, well, let, let, let me start with you just for a second. When did you get your entrepreneur fire? What age or what, how did it all come about I for was you? pretty young, Ken. I was managing a, a bike shop when I was 21 years old. And so my entire career up until I was 42 was working for entrepreneurs. I, I just knew I would own a business someday. But at 42, you know, I had four teenagers at home and uh, I was VP of marketing at that time. And, you know, the direct deposit and everything, it just didn't seem something I was ready to walk away from. And mm-hmm. so I, kept, I just knew someday. So I just kept putting it out there someday, you know, it's going to happen. Well, actually, when I was 42, my job was eliminated. And even though a lot of people, when they kind of lose their job or get fired or whatever, they that's a good time for them to start a business. I decided I need to go find another good paying job. And I tried that for over a year. And ultimately, you know, I was not able to to replace my job. So that's when I decided to start my business. You know, I can really relate to, as you say, the baby booners of which I am one. And, um, the book right before I launched uh, this book called Decide the Ultimate Success Trigger. So book number five, Ken, was called Stop Waiting for It to Get Easier, Create Your Dream Business Now. And I wrote that book primarily because so many people, baby boomers or otherwise, they're always – a lot of people seem to wait for perfect conditions. Maybe I'm going to wait for another election. Maybe I'm going to wait for this. Maybe I'm going to wait for interest rates to change. Maybe this, maybe that. And there is no perfect time to start a business. One of the, I mean, I give several examples, but if, you know, some of the folks that are listening to your show now, as you say, are thinking of starting something on the side or getting something going, it is the absolute, the best time to do it is right now. There, there will not be a better time. And um, there was an old uh, Chinese proverb, Ken. I came across it after probably five months of writing that book. And I said, Mm -hmm. it said, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is yesterday. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, you really just got to take action. And, you know, even one of the examples I gave, by the way, was uh, Fred Smith, who started Federal Express in the late 70s. You know, there was the Iranian oil embargo going on. And Fred Smith didn't start his overnight delivery service with a Cessna and just seeing how it went. He invested in multiple DC-9 jets, sometimes flying these jets with pilots on board across the country with like eight and ten overnight FedEx letter packages, which was the original way they got started. A bit of a loss. I mean, yeah, he lost millions upon millions of dollars until he got the momentum going. So as that snowball got going down the hill, he just grew and grew and grew. But there was several years where he was just pouring money out the door waiting for this thing to catch fire. And what you're saying is today is the best day to start a business, and probably a year ago that was the best day. So it's always the day you're in. It's right. You know, <laughs> it's the best day. You know, and, and I, I usually don't like to go into politics or anything, but just by way of example, every time they talk about either oil drilling or building a pipeline or this or that, and they say, well, that's not going to help for 10 years. I'm like, yeah, but if you did it 10 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. all these decisions that never get made, I mean, if you actually, not to be political one way or the other, but the indecision that usually goes on in the government is a perfect example of things never, we discuss things for decades before we pull the trigger and the people on the opposite side of the argument, whatever it happens to be, say, well, that's not going to help us for 10, 5 or 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. And, and it causes two problems. The opportunity's probably passed and someone's already taken the position and filled it anyway. Exactly, because you somebody will act. All right. It, it is a, in, very interesting how people, it almost like an idea hits the earth and a thousand people 
get the idea, but only one person acts on it. How many people? And later you see it. Yep. You know? How many people looked at the pet rock or some of these other? Oh, I had that same idea. You know what? Ideas are cheap. Action is where the money is. So that's great. I like that. All right. So you were forced into starting a business. It sounds like more or less. I mean, a lot of people are in that boat right now where they need to do something. They've been forced to figure out. Okay, if I don't want to in my retirement to eat dog food, I want to have a decent life. They know they got. They have to do something. Yeah. So let's let's take someone right now. He's 60 years old. He's a retired fireman. He obviously can't work in that field anymore. He's too old. And he needs to do something with his knowledge. He obviously has, you know, he's got 30 years of working as a fireman, so he knows something about fires. What would you recommend for this man to do? Now, he has a hobby. Let's say he's got a couple of hobbies. He loves uh, uh, bowling. Okay, so he's fireman and he loves bowling. So that's his side thing he likes. And he enjoyed being a fireman all his life, but it's uh, it's just too too much for him now. Even if, He couldn't go back and do it even if someone would hire right. him. It would, what, what do you recommend? Where does this man start? Well, you started to go exactly where I would go if I was talking to that person. It doesn't necessarily have to do with what you've done all your life, but there's some kind of a skill or talent that you have, even if it's been laying dormant for all this time, that may be able to provide some income. So you went and said, well, he's a bowler. So I would ask, is he a good bowler? Has he learned any tips? Uh, has he learned how to bowl a certain score or how to always get the uh, pick up the split or whatever? And I'm not a bowler, so I'm kind of hoping my language makes some sense there. But, sure. But you'd say he's a decent bowler. He's not a superman, but he's he's pretty good. Yep. So what what he may do is whatever your – and so this will work for him or anybody else. So whatever your skill or talent is, whatever you think you might have an idea for a pro product or program, you can go to Google and type that in. Like, for example, how to be a better bowler, how to do this, how to pick up the split, how to – you know, bowl 300 or whatever the thing is. And it'll tell you how many people are searching for that. That is free research at the at your fingertips, right in, right in nice. good old Google. Now, what you can do with that information is it also tells you other ways that people are phrasing it because that's what comes up in the search results. So, for example, I was talking to a gentleman yesterday who's going to be joining my coaching program, and he is a carpet cleaner. And he's figured out a different way to grow his business. A lot of carpet cleaners, you know, are, are kind of not doing well. First of all, they don't know marketing. They know cleaning carpets and the money's always in the marketing of whatever it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I said, what we need to do, we need to come up with a hook that makes you the envy of all the other carpet cleaners. If you don't have one now, by the way, if you don't have something, you know, like the big trophy on the wall, so to speak, let's say you, you went from zero to six figures in six months, which is probably a pretty unheard of thing, you know, for a new carpet cleaning business. If that was what you can hang your hat on, then the first thing I would suggest doing is, you know, how I went from zero to six figures in six months, and here's how you can do it too. And I would either write that book or an ebook or a Kindle book or something like that. And so everybody that's searching for that, all the carpet cleaners that are searching for how do you grow my business, they're going to see that and then they're going to buy it. So he's at least made a sale. And if he does offer some kind of private coaching or telecoaching, that can be another revenue stream. So many people can, when they come out of corporate America or brick and mortar, they think I've got to open up a business and you don't, you can run a business right out of your home and you can build mm -hmm. it to be what I call a dream business, which is providing a nice lifestyle and do all the things you want. You just have to figure out what can I offer that's already being searched for, that's already in demand. So, again, it sounds like two things. You, you, uh, you look for these questions. People are asking how to 
do a split or whatever it is in bowling, you want to get your name in front of there saying how I won my bowling championships with getting the splits. Something like that, you know, or, you know, a, a headline would be tired of splitting on every frame or whatever, you know, some bowling terminology. Mm-hmm. Here's the secret to never doing that again. And then he could tell his story. He could record it into his computer. He could have it transcribed so he can, so if people buy it, they could buy not only his voices like an MP3, they could buy a digital download PDF document, which is a transcript of his recording. That's, that's a very simple way to create an, it's what's called an information product. People are buying information. Now, would you use that first product to maybe capture their email? Like, I'll give you this free report on how to take care of splits, if, but you, you need to give me your email. Or, or do you try to go in and try to uh, sell your uh, first product you create? What, what would you recommend? Ken, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer it this way. I'll have a little fun. How many women have you ever walked up to and said, Hi, I'm Ken. Do you want to get married? Not many. Not many, right? <laughs> Probably not even your wife. I don't know if you're married. But, you know, in another way, that's like going into a networking event and saying, hi, I'm Jim. Do you want to join my coaching program? Nobody wants to, like, it's trying to, like, score the deal right off the bat. You don't do that. You, you've got to get people to know, like, and trust you. One of the ways you do that is to trade some, some information. A lot of times it's free information on the Internet, and sometimes it's totally free. And then the next thing you know, they, they may be offered something where they do have to give you their name and email, and you just keep the delivering information through what's called an autoresponder, which is a series of emails that are already pre-written as they start metering out after people opt in. And then somewhere along the lines, this is the kind of the standard internet marketing space, you would do something which is called a tripwire, and that's where you offer something inexpensive, perhaps the $7 price range, of which an ebook would be a good thing. And then if they do give you that kind of money, now you're getting more of their contact information. You could ask you know, their, for their mailing address, and so if you're doing direct mail or mailing out a newsletter, you can keep in touch with them that way. One of the expressions I, I take for this whole process, I call it stair-stepping. So you go from stair to stair to stair to stair, and each way along the way, people get more trust. They find more value in the information you're sharing. They're willing to give you more money until ultimately, I mean, the end game is to buy the, the big package or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. My world, it's having joined my coaching program, but you got to take them up this very gradual stair, banging them over the head and saying, you know, give me a credit card right off the bat is, is a good way for them to hit the delete button. Okay. So what you're saying is even on your first couple of products, don't push for an email. Build a rapport, and after you've they've read two or three or four things you put out there, then go for the email. Going for the email right away is even too fast. It just depends. There is no black and white. It works every time. I mean, there are some industries where it's a very com- it's very commonplace to sign in and get something for free. But I've also seen people just get this for free. In fact, they promote it. In other words, no opt-in required. And so then if people, let's say you're doing a video. And so you're saying, here, I'm going to show you a free five-minute video shows you how to never split. And so maybe there's a video of this guy showing, here's how I hold the ball, blah, 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 and no opt-in required. So now what happens as he's talking on the video and they're learning some information, he can say, by the way, if you like this information, go here or you're going to see a box on the left. You can opt in. I've got five more videos for you. That's something you can do. There's no one answer, but you just got to do it, try it different ways and see which way grows your list the best. Test, test, test. Yep. That's what you have to do. Well, I like that idea because then – he can listen to the video and he and 
the ones that are really interested will opt in, and the ones that aren't, you didn't want anyway. That's right. They're not a good client for you. So really, that's an excellent uh, way to do it. Okay. All right. So let's let's go with this fireman for a minute again. So uh, he creates a uh, three-page article on how to do these do splits, and uh, let's say gives it away free, and he captures the ones that want to give their email. Now, what's what does he do from here? Well, it, it depends. I mean, it's it's actually a conversation that would normally take me an hour, but I'll, I'll try and spitball it. I mean, you, okay. by the way, Ken, you got to know what the end game is. So, you know, we're it's kind of fun, the conversation we're having, but I don't know what this person wants to do. Do they want to have a, you know, a kind of a five day a week job? Do they want to be out traveling, doing speaking gigs? Do they want to sell like information products like DVD courses, things like that? So it's hard for me to give you a. Well, let's say this person wants to try everything and then he'll whittle it down later saying, well, I really didn't like public speaking. You can take out the, the parts he didn't like, but he says, okay, I'm going to na- make all the money I can and I want to get up to speed as quickly as I can and I need to do, I'm willing to spend my whole week, 40 hours a week or more to do this. So let, let's say that's the mindset of this this uh, retired fireman bowler. The first thing I would do for this guy is I would tell him to invest his first, you know, X number of hundreds of dollars or whatever it's going to be, I would invest in a coach. The quickest way to get where you want to be, to have it all, try it all, is to go to somebody who's already made that journey because every entrepreneur makes a ton of mistakes. There are people that have made the journey that the fireman wants to make and the right person will guide them along the way. So you actually don't try everything because that's a good way to pour through a ton of money and then just whittle back. And so there's an expression, Ken, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And so what that means is there could be a lot of great bowlers out there. But if this if this person has a slight edge or even just one thing that all these people who are super into bowling can pick up, He's going to sell a lot of ebooks. He could sell enough ebooks to to buy groceries every week or maybe a car at the end of a year. I mean, it all depends. And one product is not going to do it. It's going to be a series of products, a series of promotions. There's probably going to be what's called pay-per-click involved. So when you create an ad, so when somebody does search for it, guarantee there's so many people searching for bowling, you're not going to come up in what's called the generic Google search. So you're going to have one of those ads pop up on the right that says free report, how to never split again. That will attract some attention. People will click on it. They'll get the free report. Inside the free report might be an offer to get a series of training videos for 20 bucks or 50 bucks, whatever it is, and then you can just grow the relationship from there. Well, let's say this fellow wants to try to go, go it on his own to start with. He just doesn't have a lot of income, but he's got a lot of time. What would you recommend that this uh, fireman do? Start reading. Start consuming information. Every successful Mm -hmm. entrepreneur I know has an insatiable appetite for information. So one of the things you could do is Google Internet Marketing, Internet Marketing Coach, Internet Marketing Strategies, blah, 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 and just start pouring through this information because the quickest way to to pee through all the money you have or don't have is to do it on your own and go blindly. There is so much information. I mean, books that I've written, other people that are in this space – kind of can lay it out books are 20 bucks so it's you get a heck of an education for 20 dollars these days so i i would consume as much information i would do as much research the one thing most entrepreneurs fail to do initially is the research they get all hot and bothered on this great thing that they're very passionate about but they never see if there's a big enough need they don't bother to see who else is in the space already 
you know, what kind of competition there is, what are people charging and things like that. So I would learn everything you can up front, assuming you don't want to hire somebody just to kind of shepherd you through, learn all you can up front and do a ton of research. All right. So when you were saying you type in a question like bowling splits, you're looking to see if there's enough people that have been searching for that. What would normally, what would be the search level for a question that's a long tail question that, you know, that's that would be a fairly long tail question, I think, saying uh, all you bowling people, uh, if you want to stop uh, splits, I can help you or something. How many searches do you think is a, is enough to consider it a field that maybe has an opportunity? I have no way of answering that, Ken. I'm certainly not trying to be difficult on your program. I have no way to answer that. I mean, you know, I know some people who have 30 clients. Those 30 clients pay them, you know, on average $30,000 a year for coaching. So 30 clients at 30,000 makes a very nice income. I know people who, yes. who have hundreds of clients, if not thousands of clients, but they earn about $7 a month. Again, that's a different way to go. I, so I have no idea. You're, you're looking, my answer always is, and people will tell me because I've written six books, well, how do you become a bestseller? I said, first of all, that's never my strategy. My strategy is not to sell 10,000 books so I can be on the New York Times bestseller list because that's all about feeding my ego. My strategy is to sell as many books as I need to keep filling my coaching programs and my newsletter programs. I don't know what that number is. It's as many as I can put in there, but it's, it's a whole lot different of a strategy and a philosophy by saying, I'm going to be happy if I can sell 200 books and 50 of those people end up becoming clients. That means more to me than saying, I just sold 10,000 books and I'm a bestseller. But I have no clients. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I, but that, you, you did answer the question. So really what you're saying is if it's a specialized enough area and it pays enough, you don't need many customers. But if it's a real general area, you know, how do I do something simple type of thing that only people would spend a small amount of money, then you're going to need a ton of customers. Exactly. All right. And then when it comes to competition, how does a person start saying, okay, there's way, way too much competition in this uh, sphere? What would help them to figure out, uh, okay, he goes into that bowling area and how does he decide, okay, wow, the competition's stiff here? You know, there's another expression. I, I kind of throw out expressions sometimes as they pop in my head. Sharks swim in dense packs where there's ample food supply. So if mm -hmm. I was going to get into a market and I looked left and I looked right and I didn't see any competition, I'd actually run. If I saw a bunch of people in that space, I'd go, wow, that means there's a lot of money in this space. How do I grab my piece of it and how do I outmarket some of the competition so I actually do a good job? You know, you need to figure out are people – have they been in it for a long time? You can, I mean, you could go to their websites. You'll see what they charge and things. And you can start making some analogies, I guess. But competition is a good thing. You, if you're a sharp marketer, you, you can, you can uh, own a bigger piece of the pie than somebody who's might even be better than you at what you do, but they stink at marketing. It's all about marketing. So a lot of competition is not a bad thing. But uh, some people seem to go for that sweet spot where they say, well, there's not a lot of competition. There's some. And... They don't want something that has no competition. Like you say, there's probably nothing there. That's why there isn't any competition, you know, for that field. But some uh, I've heard say, okay, they want that middle ground. They're not going to go after weight loss, let's say, because there's, a, you know, 10 million people <laughs> selling weight loss diet books and what have you. And they're saying that market is going to be, you know, unless I have something spectacular, I'm not going to have a prayer in there. So that's why I was asking that okay. question just to see see where you would go with that. Okay, so he has decided he's going to do the bowling thing. It looks like there's some money in it. 
there doesn't seem to be too much competition. So he's given that free report. Where would you go next uh, from from the free report now? What would you do with uh, you've captured uh, 1,000 emails? You've got 1,000 emails there that where people have, have given them to you voluntarily. That's I like the way you were saying <laughs> voluntarily rather than forced to give it to you. Yep. So they, they want to hear more of what you have to say. What would you recommend they do at that point? Give them more of what they're asking for. So if you've got a list, if you've got a list of people who have, a, who have kind of raised their hands, so to speak, and said, hey, I'm a bowler, one of the things I might do is, is send out a survey to my list. Hey, you know, I know you bought this report and hopefully you, you really got some information from it. I'm, I'm writing another report. A lot of people seem to ask me X, Y, and Z. So I'm thinking of doing a report on one of these three topics. Which one would you like to see next? And if there's something other, what would you like to see instead of these three? And so if out of a thousand people, if you, if you even get 30 of them to send you a reply and 30 of them say, oh, go with number one, that's a hot one. I can't wait for that. Or if, and if maybe 10 more say, oh, but I'm also interested in this, guess what, man? You just fulfill those two needs and you're going to be selling a whole lot more products. Super. So sell the people what they want. <laughs> you don't have to guess what they want. Give them a chance to tell you. Yep. Nice. Uh, so survey early. Okay. I, sometimes you think of surveys and you do that when you have a huge company, but you're saying you're just starting out. Surveys is going to help you. If you can ask your list and keep your survey short, by the way, don't ask them to be sitting there for 20 minutes for you. You never ask people to go out of their way. I mean, give them something they can answer in like two or three minutes and, and then give them a reward. Say, by the way, just for completing this, you know, very, very short three question survey, I've got another uh, report that I'm going to give you on the on the other side. So thank you very much. So you reward them for giving you the information. And again, the information they give you is gold. That is absolute gold because they're going to tell you basically what they want next. So then you just start marketing that to your list after you create that product. Would you mention to them or ask them the question, what do you think this report might be worth? Nope, I wouldn't do that. It's always going to be about perceived value. By the way, if three people say, well, I'd pay five bucks for it, that's going to taint your, your own mind. There's a certain amount that a lot of information, for example, if you were to put out a book, a regular paperback book, on average, most books are 20 bucks, right? Okay. Um, but you could put out a 30-page ebook and sell it for $99. And it's mm -hmm. because it's not shaped like a book. It's information. You're buying information that is going to help you that's different than buying a book. So a lot of people, it all depends on how you're framing it as to what you can charge for it. All right. So what you're saying is it's easier to put out a CD report than it would be a book, and you can probably charge 10 times as much money. It is. Now, it's a catch-22, as most things in life. When I started, my first product, I think in like 2006 time frame, was an ebook. It was called Newsletter Secrets Revealed. I was selling it for $99. It was like a 60-page book, PDF mm -hmm. document, and I was selling it for 99 bucks. But then I realized to be a, you know, a speaker and a coach, it, you need to be a, a published author. So I wrote my first, what I call a real book, which is basically most of the information that I'd already put out in the ebook, but I added a bunch because it, it came up to be a 200 page real book. But now I sell that for 20 bucks because it's a book. Now, the fact of the matter is that book and all the other books have done way more for me in terms of positioning, people finding out about my coaching programs, people finding out my other programs, people hiring me to do speaking and things like that. There's nothing like being a, an author of a real book to help you as far as the positioning and, and prominence. So, yeah, if you just want to go for the money and you're not out there to be a speaker or coach, then sell, sell tons of ebooks. 
But if you do want to be uh, in the area that I'm in, you need to be a, a published author as well. I've got you. And uh, I do have a question about that, but just to go back here for a second. So you sent out a, a thousand surveys and 30 were all excited. There are probably 30 sales right there. Would I be there's, th- there's at least 30 sales, but I'm guaranteeing there's a lot more than that. Not everybody's going to take is going to take a survey. It doesn't mean they're not interested. It just means they're too busy. They got to go to soccer practice or go see the mm-hmm. grandkids or whatever. But when they get an email in 30 days at this, hey, you know, I know you uh, you're interested in bowling. Here's one thing that's super hot right now. Blah blah blah. And then you tell them about the report, and um, you're going to be making a lot more sales than just the 30. Those are only the people that were kind enough to reply. All right. Okay, so they're a good sampling, and you know there's more in there. Okay, good. And now to go back to the book idea for a minute, some people, like a lot of the folks that are listening, have tremendous knowledge in an area. They might be an accountant for 40 years or a lawyer for 30 years or whatever they were in the past, and they have the information, but some of them think, well, you can't write a book until you're famous. And then others say, well, you need to write a book to become famous. You do not need to be famous to write a book. Writing a book will help you become famous, you know, in your own little uh, community. Sphere. Okay, so don't be afraid to get out there and and, and write something. You can be a hero, at least in in a very narrow field. That's right. All right, okay. So once the survey came in, they saw, okay, I can now produce a report. What other uh, additional things? Now, you could write a book at that point, okay, and that would be great. Okay, I'm going to write a book on those 30 uh, surveys came back, and there's three three different things they all raved about, and so I'm going to create a book with those three features in it because I know that's going to sell. So I've created my book. Uh, where am I going to promote the book? Where, where am I going to write it? Am I going to get an editor? What do I do at this point? Yes, you, you need to get an editor. I don't care how good of a writer or how good you know your information. You need a book editor or people are just going to not take you seriously. You know, There's two ways to go. You can either seek to get it published by a, a big publisher or you can self-publish. Self-publishing, in my opinion, is the way to go. You get it out there quicker. You control the whole process. Uh, you want to sell it on Amazon. You can offer it as both paperback and Kindle. And I also suggest uh, offering it as an audio book. A lot of people love to consume books via audio these days. And would you do your own audio probably, or, or you'd have to decide if you had a good voice, I guess? No, I would do your own. I mean, people are connecting with you. I don't care if you think you got a silly voice. They're connecting with you as the author. I mean, it may be different if you're writing a, a fiction book, and hmm. maybe it's like a mystery or something. Then you might want to get some kind of a really great voice. Uh, a bunch of drama. Yeah, but if you're buying a book that's information-based or some kind of a business book or something, the author's word, it's him, it's his, him or her teaching, I, I would suggest doing it in your own voice. So you're going to bring out this book that's, say, uh, 15,000 words, and you're going to self-publish? Yeah, a 200 or 180-page book is more like forty to 45,000 words. All right. So maybe more of a mini book, I guess I'm thinking of. I, I, here's what I'm afraid of uh, with this, Jim, is that if uh, a person writes a 100,000-page book and it takes him a year, but there's no interest, then he's wasted a year, where if he just brought out a 10,000 uh, version of this bowling thing, let's say, and it sells, he knows he can probably do the 100,000-word book, but uh, he only wasted a week or two writing the book rather than a year or a month doing it rather than a year. Ken, you know why there's the top 1% or 2% in 
any group, whether it's nationally or in, in any organization, there's always the top one or two percent. It's because there's only a small amount of people willing to do the hard work to have the successful business. You know, everybody's wired differently. Not everybody is willing to put in the time or the effort or, or risk or invest or do whatever. Writing a, a 200 page book is an enormous amount of work. I know I've done, yes. I've done it six <laughs> times. But for the folks that don't want to do that and want to take the shortcut, I'm telling you, you're not going to, you know, a coach. I hired a coach several years ago and they said, Jim, for you to think that you're going to have the same type of business as these other folks that you look up to and not be willing to do the work that they did is not reality. So that's fine. You know, Ken, if, if somebody doesn't have time or they only want to do a 10,000 word thing, you know, it's it's all scalable. You just you just can't expect the same results. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get the same amount of money probably for the two different books. Okay, let's go with your 40,000. So you got the 40,000-word book. How long, if a person's spending 20 hours a week doing it, do you think, I know it's, this is a variable here, but what, what do you think is reasonable length of time for someone to come up with a book, that, that you know, a 200-page book? It took me a year and a half to write my first book. I got it down to nine months, six months. I wrote my last book, Decide the Ultimate Success Trigger in 60 Days. So if some if you were over their shoulder helping them it is reasonable to think that someone could write a book in 60 days brand new absolutely i mean i've got strategies on on how to get a book done fast it's one of the things i teach in my program i will walk people through exactly how i got six books in six years done there's definitely strategies in a format on on how to do that okay fantastic okay so you could help someone do that in 60 days so let's say you they they got you to uh, to consult with with and they managed to get that book out in 60 days. Again, it's a huge variable, but let's say they already test marketed it and you know it was reasonably received out there. There's a lot of bowlers out there that want the book. This is a hard one, I know, but what could a person reasonably expect to make their first year their books out? I can't even begin to answer that. It would be immoral for <laughs> me to answer that. Magician. There's no way, Ken. I can't do it. It's <laughs> no way. I mean, people come to me and say, "Hey, Jim, I need, I want to, I want to hire you as a coach, and I'd love to have a six-figure business in, you know, in, in 60 days. Can we do it?" And I said, "No, I don't know any secret way." And you know why? Because every business, whether you sell a, a product or a service, is based on relationships. It's how many strong relationships you have with your customers, clients, or patients, whatever the case may be. Relationships take time to develop. It also comes down to price. I mean, realistically, I'm a constant learner. I'm a student. For life, but I know most of what I know today. I knew it six years ago or ten years ago, but the prices I can charge today versus what I charged six, ten years ago are completely different because it's the stronger the relationships are. It's the more people stay connected with me, the more they learn from me, the more they're willing to pay. You just can't hang out your shingle and say, I'm the world's best bowler, or this, that, and the other thing, and people are going to flock to your door. And writing a book isn't enough. That's actually, you know, I learned this lesson the hard way. Writing a book is the easy part, believe it or not. When you write the book, the hardest thing you got to do is go and do, you know, 30 interviews in the la in two weeks, like I've done, and you got to go out and speak, and you got you got to invest and send press releases. You've got to get all your friends organized. You've got to provide marketing materials. You've got to write up e prepared email scripts. You've got to do images that people can place on Facebook and other places. It's an enormous amount of work. So there is no easy answer that I could give and still maintain any amount of integrity. Okay, well, your expertise is there. It sounds like you could help a lot of our listeners. How would they get a hold of you to become part of, of what you're doing? 
There's yeah, a- my home base, Ken, is www.getjimpalmer.com, www.getjimpalmer.com. That's where they can find information on my web TV show, my podcast, my different books. If they want to know more about my coaching program, they can go to dreambizcoaching.com. That's www.dreambizcoaching.com. Is there an email you want to give us, or they just go there and that, that's good enough? Yeah, gu- guru at the newslettergurucom guru at the newslettergurucom and that's, of course, all over the websites. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes. Oh, perfect. So, yeah, so people can just click on it and, and go over there or, or email you right from the website. All right, what would be some final words to for these folks that, you know, they're – They've not been an entrepreneur all their life. They've, you know, they've really been looked after by their company. It could be an attorney. It could be uh, any kind of business. The fireman, the same thing. He's really never had to build a fire station. He just went in and did his job every day. And now he's going to be an entrepreneur, and it's a scary thing. They're, they're, they're wondering, okay, how, can I do this? How do I do this? What parting words would you have to encourage them that, that they can do you, it? You have to really want it badly enough to be willing to work. You know, I heard once an entrepreneur is somebody who will work 80 hours for himself instead of 40 hours for somebody else. And <laughs> working 80 hours without a paycheck for months or a year or whatever, I have never met anybody who's achieved any level of success that says it was harder than I thought it was going to be. It took longer than I thought it was going to be. And if I knew some of the things I'd go through, I probably wouldn't have started. Yet, they're extremely happy because becoming an entrepreneur is one of the greatest ways to create wealth for yourself if you're willing to do the work. So the effort is is, is all, that's all there is uh, to it. And the age, what would you say to their age? Because they're thinking, well, everyone says I'm... Over the hill now. <laughs> well, I think Colonel Sanders started when he was 68, so you know I don't think age is a big deal. Okay, so they shouldn't be afraid of the the fact that the age is that they're old. I wouldn't. In fact, it should so. be an asset. I would think. I mean, I wouldn't suggest starting at 90, but you know, like I said, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken Colonel Sanders started when he was 68. Now, uh, Grandma Moses was what 84 or something. Well, you got me on that one, Ken. I'll trust your your judgment. 80-something. Yeah. <laughs> so you can do it at a later age, but it may get a little harder at that age. But at the same time, it's desire. If you want to do it, you can pretty well do anything that you put your mind to. But you may have to go through some rough stuff, like you're saying. You may have to put a lot of sweat equity into it the first six months or a year, you're saying, to, to, to start making some serious money. Absolutely. Okay, well, I love it. That was great, Jim. I, I think that your advice is going to help a lot of my listeners, and I think a lot of them are going to want to go over and take a look at what you've got there and, and uh, jump aboard some of that. I uh, appreciate that. Thank you for having me those products on. and ideas. Super. Thank you for taking the time, Jim, and uh, looking forward to talking to you again in the future. Have a great day, Ken. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Jim. Thank you for listening to Income for Baby Boomers with your host, Ken Queen. Helping boomers like you get a business started you can run from your own home. We interview owners of both online and offline businesses, but most importantly, ones that are run by baby boomers. Stay tuned next week for new and exciting businesses that you can start from your home. Until next time, have a profitable and blessed week.